What is going on? Welcome to the Land Podcast. This week, we have a great episode with Danny Thompson. And before we get into the episode, I have a couple quick announcements. First off, Exodus and Prime is giving away an incredible price package, a value of $1,800. You're gonna win a custom RevX4 Prime bow. You're gonna win a dozen Exodus MMT arrows and a rival and SP18 bundle. All you have to do is head to the link in the description and sign up for that. I hope you guys take advantage of it. A really great opportunity to win some cool stuff. Also, if you would like to win one of the three rivals that we announced previously, we're gonna announce that next week. So all you have to do is leave a written review on the podcast and you will have your name in the running. And also, real quick, in case you are new to the podcast, the goal of this show is very simple. We don't have a ton of sponsors. It is very just value driven. The goal is to help 100 people buy their first piece of land. There's three ways to be included in that number. Number one, if you are in the state of Illinois and you're looking for a buyer's agent to help you, I'm more than happy to help if you are in an area of my expertise. Number two, if you wanna get connected to someone that I would personally do business with, I would, would happily do my best to get you in contact with someone that is an expert in the area you're looking for and also just have someone in your corner uh, the beauty of a buyer's agent is typically the seller is paying for that. So it's a great way to get someone to be a fiduciary for you and not have anything out of pocket. And the third thing, if you just simply learn something from this, helps you take action, helps you move forward with conviction with your plan. I want to know, I want to add you to the list of 100 people. And that is it. Hope you guys really enjoy this episode with Danny. A lot of great information in this one we talk about just getting started, how not buying a boat was the huge breaking point for him and to where he's at today. So hope you guys enjoy this. Here we go. Danny, welcome to the Land Podcast. How's it going? It's going good. It's going good. Yeah, man. Well, uh, I'm excited for this. You are uh, a first time land buyer and you get to share your story. And uh, we've talked back and forth here for a while and uh, happy that we're able to finally align our schedules before uh, just so people can get an idea of who you are. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah. So my name is Danny Thompson. Um, you know, I'm from central Minnesota, just north of the Twin Cities here. And, um, you know, avid deer hunter, work in the outdoor industry, actually on the fishing side of the, the business. But um, sometimes that works to my benefit because it gives me a little bit more time for deer hunting and whatnot. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, other than that, just obviously, you know, big deer hunter, I always dreamed of owning my own place and, you know, finally made that happen. That's super exciting. So um, how how did you get uh, into your current role? How did you... How'd you uh get to where you're at today? You know, uh, you know, just like a lot of guys growing up, I think, you know, I always dreamed of working with hunting, fishing, something outdoor related. That was always kind of my, my goal in life and, and grew up being a huge hunter and avid outdoorsman and whatnot. So just kind of continued with that and always worked in like an outdoor retail type setting growing up whenever I had, you know, first got my first jobs and that kind of stuff. So I went off to college and started going for natural resource, um, like wildlife management stuff, like a lot of guys. Yep. And um, quickly realized that's probably not what I want to do with my life. Just, you know, I love hunting and fishing and, you know, that's, it doesn't pay much and starts to take away from it. So I shifted gears a little bit and still went for natural resources, but actually um, got a specialization in communications and in education. So I knew I, I like selling stuff and talking to people and whatnot. So I thought that would somehow help me down the road, down the road. So that that's kind of where I ended up there. And then, um, you know, at the time was working with a big retailer Cabela's at the time and spent a lot of time there and just kind of slowly worked my way up and eventually worked in marketing and was a marketing manager at, at the retail level. 
and then um, kind of had this opportunity with Garmin come along. So now I've been working with Garmin here for about uh, a little over seven years, I believe. So it's been it's been a lot of work, but it's been a great journey, and you know I, I don't regret any of it. That's cool. That's really cool. Yeah, to go to go from Cabela's to Garmin. I mean, you are through and through working <laughs> yeah, in sure. working in this space. Um, so born and raised in Minnesota, I assume. Yeah. Yep. What's what's uh, what's that been like? I mean, I would be. Uh, this is just for my own general general curiosity, but like, what was deer hunting like in Minnesota when you were growing up, and what is it like today? You know, I like Minnesota is one of those states that you know the the management's a little bit tough, and you know, and, and we are up here, so we we can get harsh winters and some of that stuff. And I've been through it all, but you know, growing up, I feel like I didn't even realize that as much you know growing up I was your traditional Minnesota deer hunter hunting the north woods and a lot of times you were just happy to see a deer or you know anything like that let alone you know trying to go after trophies and that kind of stuff um so you know it started to, to switch for me the, the older I got which I think it does for a lot of guys but I also started hunting better parts of the state and um you know being a Minnesota deer hunter can be tough you know there's there's a lot of deer hunters um, there's a lot of um, just, uh, you know, not really managing for for trophy bucks or even quality herds or anything like that, per se. So it, it can be a little bit discouraging at times. But, um, you know, I think on the bright side, as we, as we look at the entire deer hunting community, even outside of Minnesota and beyond, I think there's starting to be that shift where people are, you know, you can shoot what you want, but um, a little bit better management and you're finding better deer throughout the entire state now. Yeah. I, I've, I talked to, uh, about this on the Exodus podcast with Johnny part of like how uh, the definition of a big buck has changed from the nineties to now, like what people would have been really excited about to shoot then is what most people are probably passing now. And so that's obviously, I think uh, sometimes we forget that or lose sight of that, that, you know, <clears throat> it's just changing. It's a little bit dynamic. And so um, that's really cool. And the, the Minnesota rifle season that opens like the first week of no November, right? Yeah. That's yeah. Tough. You know, and and that's tough, man. Cause it's just like, it, if you want to be a bow hunter in Minnesota, it's tough. And mm -hmm. so, um, you know, you're, you're, you're hunting the deer right during prime time with guns. And then, you know, and you know, when you, when you send out 400 some thousand people with guns into the woods, it just changes the deer oh, yeah. in general, you know, and like they'll still move if they're running, but like once that kind of pressure hits the woods, it's just, it's tough. It really changes. is. Yeah. Here, here I am complaining about Illinois being in the third week of November. <laughs> I get, yeah. I, we get three extra weeks of uh, untarnished bow hunting. So uh, it's all relative. For sure. So tell me a little bit about like, when did you growing up, when were you like, I want to own a piece of land? Was there an aha moment? Was there just a, a day or a time or a conversation that it instilled in you to be a goal that you were going to achieve? Absolutely. You know, I grew up, you know, hunting from very young age. My dad's been taking me forever. And, you know, when I was a really young, run, young guy, we had some spots where like family farms, that kind of stuff. Gra great grandpa had a farm and, um, you know, we had a place to go. And it wasn't until all that stuff kind of started to, to fade away that we were hunting a lot of state land and growing up hunting state land. And it's like, you learn real quickly that that's not necessarily ideal especially gun season because i didn't start bow hunting probably till i was about 16 and um you know it didn't matter how far back you walked or what piece of state ground you went to there was just so many people and and i remember even my my mom got to a point where she was like you know it's just it's not even safe for you guys to be out there there's so many people you young kids you know stuff like that um and so my dad had a friend that actually owned a farm 
And so we we started hunting there the year my brother started hunting. So it was like kind of our own spot because we got to hunt there. But, you know, as I slowly got more and more into it, more into maybe the land management part of it, it was like, it's cool because we're the only ones hunting here, but it's not ours. And I didn't have the ability to just cut down a bunch of stuff if I wanted or put food plots in spots that I wanted. Like, it was like, you're always sort of, you know, answering to that guy and and almost like a lease in a way, you know what I yeah. mean? And it just started really driving my passion for, hey, like, I want to own land. And I mean, that was probably starting at, you know, 12, 13 years old. Like, that was my goal. That's been my life goal forever is someday I'm going to own a giant farm or deer hunting and do what I want on there and then be able to bring my dad and my brother and friends, you know, just kind of have my do what place, you want. do what I want. Exactly. And so um, it's, it's always been a goal, but you know, I didn't, I didn't grow up with a lot of money. I mean, my first house I lived in had wheels under it, you know, like <laughs> I grew up without a lot of money and, and really just kind of like a hardworking blue collar type of family and growing up. So just, it never was something I thought could happen. Like I didn't, think it was something that would ever be an option for me it just wasn't in the cards so I just assumed you know I'd always lease or I'd always have to hunt with a buddy or something like that I just didn't think I'd be able to own something do you think that's just because of what outside surroundings like and I'm sure you've had conversations like well you you can only own land if you have a bunch of money and I mean it was that your experience a- absolutely and and you know Minnesota's kind of a funny state where it's it's, it's kind of sad, you know, right? Like it's cool um, hearing about all these people buying land and all this stuff, but like Minnesota's really um, still a lot of family farms and a lot of family land and stuff like that. So it was always like, you know, you had to have 280 acres or 320 acres was just what, what you'd have to buy. And I'm like, there's no chance I'm ever going to be able to afford that. And the idea of owning a smaller piece and kind of building it into, you know, bigger stuff in the future, like that was never an idea. It wasn't something that could happen. And, um, you know, I just kind of looked at, you know, the family farms and stuff like that. And I just knew, okay, I'm, I'm never going to be able to do that. I'm not gonna be able to just go out and big, buy a big farm. Um, you know, so just wasn't, wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's a tall task. And then I think that most people don't realize you have to start small more than likely to get where you want to go. But if you don't ever make that first step, you're never going to get to the later ones. Yeah. Yeah. And so, sure it- Go ahead. Well, I was just to say, like, you know, and, and people that you talk to, like, you know, even like parents or grandparents or other people, it was just like, you know, owning land and buying land just wasn't something that I think really was was something a lot of people did in the 80s and the 90s, you know, when yeah. I was growing up. It just it wasn't a thing. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's that's really interesting. And it's uh crazy how much the sport of whitetail is probably directly responsible for the adoption of buying recreational ground. Cause like you talk to people even in the nineties and obviously the eighties and they're like, you want that junk ground? And like, now mm-hmm. there's a resource there and people like to hunt whitetails and there's a value to that. It's so with Minnesota, I mean, I would hopefully no one's uh, fact checks me, but doesn't Minnesota have the most recorded Boone and Crockett whitetails? You know, I think Wisconsin actually okay. um, beats us counties- wise. But Minnesota's huge and Minnesota's funny, right? Because, and and this is, this gets into a a whole nother big topic, um, you know, and and it's it's an important topic, right? But, um, you know, back in the day, right? So like, if you look at the 19, let's say like 1900 through, let's just say 1998, 1999, you know, somewhere in there, right before the 2000s, um, there was giant deer getting killed in Northern Minnesota in the North woods. And I think, 
the UP of Michigan could, could probably, you know, be similar to that. I think upper Wisconsin, similar to that, like these big woods, big places, you know, the John Breen Buck way, you know, mm-hmm. Minnesota typical state record shot way up north, on, on, you know, off the railroad track, stuff like that. You heard of those deer, but now if you look the and there's people that have done this where they actually take the numbers where like, you know, let's just say the last 20 years, like let's go back to 2000, you know, that's not the case. And a lot of that is, you know, direct correlation to the wolves mm-hmm. and, um, you know, really probably a big correlation with wolves, but also um, just the way that the whitetails and how people have found them to thrive in farm country and that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, obviously anywhere that there's a river, you can pretty much see direct correlation with big bucks and, and big mm-hmm. woods, but that's just not, not it anymore. There's, you got wolves, you got um, winters have been a little bit harsh again, stuff like that. So you're seeing a little bit of a decline there, I think. Um, so Minnesota, yeah, it was probably an amazing state back then. It's still a great whitetail state, but it, it was top tier, you know, back in the day and those counties where those numbers are, that's just not the case anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I was way off. Number one's Wisconsin. You were right. Number two, Illinois. Number three, Iowa. Number four, Minnesota. And then the number two all-time county, though, is St. Louis County, which is the the old days, as you would say. Absolutely. It's also a giant county, too. So it's easy to <laughs> rack up more entries. Um, no, that's that's really interesting. So well, tell me a little bit more about like when you decided. So obviously, when you were younger, you said, I want to buy a piece of ground. But like when in your adulthood and, and work career, you're like, all right, well, I'm going to put some plan plans in place to try to get to this goal. When was that? Yeah. So, you know, like, um, you know, me, me and my wife got together and we had kids pretty young and we, we were struggling with money. And it just, like I said, wasn't in the goal. It didn't, didn't even really think it was in the realm. And I actually picked up a lease and um, had a lease in Southeast Minnesota. It was awesome. I shot some great bucks there, um, kind of in that bluff country. You area, got some you know? some dandies behind you for anyone. Yeah, listening yeah, to. All, all of them <laughs> from from down there on that lease. So great, great spot, amazing stuff. And um, you know, we both, you know, finally kind of started get, getting on our feet, getting going a little bit, and we're saving up some money. We had just built a brand new house here oh, in wow. the Twin Cities. And so it was like, okay, you know, someday, maybe when I'm in my fifties or, or retirement age, I can look at something like that. But, um, you know, working in the fishing industry, I was like, I'm going to buy a boat, you know, I got to get a boat and um, do some of that. And we had some money saved up for it. I even had some of the accessories for this boat in my garage, ready to, to make that purchase. And I was actually talking to the farmer that I lease from down South. And I mean, this guy's got thousands of acres, thousands, and, and he built it up himself, you know, um, not a hunter, just a farmer. And I was talking to him about, I'm by this boat. And he goes, you know, why, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you invest in some land? Like that boat, isn't going to be worth anything in the future. Um, you know, it's, it's not even necessarily what you like to do. Like you're a deer hunter, you like land, you're, you're leasing all this land for me. Why don't you go buy a small piece of land? And I'm like, you know what? He's right. And so I started kind of talking to a realtor and, um, there wasn't as much information out there, you know, at first when, when I was looking and um, I was looking at small pieces and roughly and what, what year is this roughly? This is about four years ago. Okay. Yep. And so look, looking at some pieces and smaller pieces and and just, you know, was like, okay, you know, maybe we can make this work. And, and I had never talked to a bank. I had never talked to lenders. I'd never talked to people. So I didn't, I didn't know, you know, and I didn't have the land podcast at that point with <laughs> any info or anything like that. So I was like, just trying to do the research on my own and um, figured out, well, man, we only need, you know, 20% down, which, it, it, you know, is a chunk of money, but I had that because that's what I was going to use on the boat. 
and um, was looking at some properties and then, you know, finally, finally um, settled on a place that, that I had purchased. And I was like, you know, it's not my end goal, but I knew somehow we'd be able to make, make, you know, some money on it if I did some work to it and that kind of stuff. And that's where, you know, my wife is not a deer hunter. She's not even necessarily an outdoorsman at all. And so I had to convince her that we needed to basically spend our entire life savings again <laughs> to purchase some hunting land. But, you know, the way I looked at it is I can always fall back and sell this piece. Like as long as I buy it, you know, at a fair value, not necessarily even a good deal, but just a fair value, I can always sell it, get our money back. So we're not in a bad situation. But um, I, I, I just had the vision in my eyes that, you know, I know what I could do to this place. And so, um, you know, we kind of went after it and purchased that, that first piece and ended up working out amazingly, you That's know, cool. in the end. So, so it, it sounds like that conversation with, with the old wise farmer was paramount in your decision. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, you know, and it's like, it's sometimes it's funny because there's things that are just right there in front of your eyes, but you, you, you don't let yourself see it. And it's like, you know, this guy, same situation, you know, didn't have a bunch of money, but he just worked for it and found a way to, to make that money and make that farm payment and keep buying more and more land. And now, you know, here he is with, with big acreage and, and farming lots of ground. And it's like, you know, um, it, it is possible, I guess, you know, going that route and, um, you know, just had to go for it, I guess. I wish there was a podcast or a place where farmers like that could share their life lessons because it, oh, yeah. it would help us all so much. Um, which you were lucky that you crossed paths with them. I mean, I think that sounds like it really sets you up uh, for where you're at today. So tell us a little bit more about the piece you ended up deciding uh, to purchase that time. Yeah. So, so that piece, so I, I was hunting and I had that big lease in Southeast Minnesota and it's the driftless area. It's Houston County. You know, it's known for big bucks. Um, I hunted some of the biggest farms that exist down there. There is giant deer there, um, you know, and, and a great area, but I just, I couldn't afford five acres there. You know, I just <laughs> knew it wasn't, it wasn't going to happen there. So I started kind of, you know, looking at boot and Crockett numbers, looking at counties, you know, going to the deer classics and, and kind of hearing about stuff. And I, I actually um, found out Ottertail County, which is in um, North central Minnesota, amazing County. It's got great fishing. I'd always like to go there fishing. And so I knew like, okay, if I can't find something in Southeast, I'm going to start looking for anything around that Ottertail County area. And, um, you know, went up there, there, there's been numerous, there's a disproportionate number of Boone and Crockett non-typicals killed in that County. Mm. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a great spot. Um, started looking up there and the land is is cheaper because it's a little bit more like swamp ground mixed with um, some farm ground and, and kind of that stuff. So it, you know, had a little bit lesser of a value, but, um, you know, started looking there and actually um, looked at so many pieces that today I wish I would have bought, you know, looking back, but um, was looking at, um, you know, all different things there. And I found a great place. Um, it was 80 acres, had a cabin on it that was, you know, kind of run down, um, needed some work, had a pole shed on it, but it, it had all the bones, all the making of being a good spot, you know, the stuff, big property owners on all sides, you know, one family owns to the east, one family owns to the south, you know, one family to the west type of thing. And, um, you know, good transition zones is pretty much all wooded, surrounded by a lot of open ground. So just it had the makings of being a good spot. It just needed some work. Mm -hmm. And um, the other thing is, is I'm a traveling salesman. I have nothing but time. So, you know, when, when I went in and was kind of making some offers and dealings on it, 
that place was owned by like five siblings. And I think they weren't all coming to agreement on some of the stuff when it came to selling it. So they had had some offers and things like that that had fallen through. But, um, you know, I kind of went after it and they were very bad about getting back to us or anything like that. And I think the whole process of buying the place took like three or four months, took forever because it was Mm -hmm. just waiting for people to get back and going back and forth and whatnot. But, um, you know, just kind of waited it out and ended up working in my favor. Yeah, that sounds like your patience was uh, was rewarded there is probably some people got discouraged or just a little bit annoyed with, you know, it taking too long. For sure. For sure. And so was that how, how did you find this parcel? Was it listed for sale? Um, did you have an agent send it to you? Yeah. So this is pre-COVID, right? So back then there was listings and, um, you know, they sat there, there. There was listings that would be there for a while. It wasn't like if you seen a listing, you had to go there the day you found it and make an offer that day. So um, I had, it was funny because I had seen that place, but it was a little bit more than I wanted to spend. Mm-hmm. And um, I was looking at a bunch of other places in the area. And it's funny because the realtor that I actually used when I purchased that place was the realtor that I used when I purchased my house. This was a friend of mine from high school. Mm-hmm. And um, so we went and we were looking at some properties and we saved that one for last because it was like, okay, it's kind of out of the budget, but you know, maybe you could pull some strings, make some things work if it's really worth it. And so we had checked all these other places out and, and I seen some good things that day, but we're pulling into this place. It's, you know, kind of that hour before the sun's going to set, kind of that golden hour we're, we're pulling up. It's October Mm-hmm. And I'm driving down the gravel road and the driveway is off to the right. And here comes about 160 inch deer walking down the driveway. There's your sign. <laughs> right out of that place into a bean field that was just on the side of it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like who paid to do that? Right. Yeah. You know, and then we pull up, I look out in that bean field and there's probably three other shooter bucks in that bean field and another, you know, big bunch of deer. And they all are coming out of this piece of property. It's one of those inside out type of properties. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay take my money, you know, let's make an offer right now. Mm-hmm. And um, definitely didn't disappoint. I mean, that farm, you know, and and I, you know, since sold it and have and just recently purchased my second place, but that, uh, that farm, like I'm always going to regret selling that place. But it, I think in this process, it's just something I had to do, you know? Yeah. That's, um, that's something I've noticed with a lot of people that I talk to is everyone loves their first farm so much and it is hard to sell, but then a lot of these guys that I talk to, you know, let's say 15 years later and I ask them, you know, like, do you regret selling it? And they're like, not really. I mean, because it oper- you know, opens up more opportunity down the road, but it's like giving up something good to try to get something great, you know, that is your end goal. So <clears throat> when you talk about it being a little bit over your budget, did you have to, was that a, did you have to do anything creative or did, you, did was there more convincing with the wife or how did you uh, go about this? extending that just a little bit you know not not necessarily the the, the big thing about buying land is like you can do a lot of creative things and at that time i i really didn't even know about these creative things i just knew i had to work hard and you know nicole is an extremely hard worker she had to work hard we had a savings and you got to have that down payment like when you're buying land and 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 i think it's still kind of that's kind of the case like you you have to have a down payment Mm-hmm. You know, um, what we did that was probably really stupid, but I think it definitely really paid off when I sold that farm is, I mean, we pretty much, you know, used all of our savings. Like we, we basically had nothing left. We had to come in. up. Yeah. I mean, we had, to, we have like 40 grand, you know, for a down payment 
And I, I, we had no backup like that. That was our plan was that farm. And I was going to go all in on it and make it, make it good in a few years when I went to sell it, you know, Mm -hmm. and um, it all worked out obviously in the end. And, and like I said, the thing is, is when I went in and I purchased that farm, like, I don't know that I got a great deal. I might've got a pretty good deal. I mean, it was market value, but I knew that I could sell it for what I, what I had into it, you know? So Mm -hmm. I I wasn't going to end up upside down or anything in it. And that's just kind of the mentality that I had to have is like, you know, you're buying your dream place. You've dreamed of owning a farm your whole life, but there's a chance if something terrible happens, you may have to get rid of it. And that's what we did. And and we made it work and, um, you know, worked out. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Did you improve the cabin? Did you guys fix that up or what was your plan with that? So I'm not a, I'm not a carpenter guy. I'm not that guy when it comes to the land and it comes to that kind of stuff, I'm all about it. And so, um, I fixed the cabin up in the sense of getting it cleaned up and, and, um, doing some of that kind of stuff. Um, you know, the, the family that had owned it before amazing family, great guys. In fact, it was, I think it was so hard for them to sell it. They had actually owned this place since way back when, you know, it was, there's a book wrote about that place and everything. Um, really, really awesome place. The cabin was you know, built by family members and the fireplace inside, there was all rocks that were picked off of the land, like just real kind of a sentimental type of place. So it was good. But the problem is, is they were older and they just weren't doing a lot of the maintenance stuff, the general stuff that needed to be done. Some of the painting, some of the, you know, like the yard was all grown up and they were like brush hogging it, mm-hmm. you know, where I did, you know, more like prettying things up, but then put a lot of money and time into making the deer hunting better which, you know, um, helped me, um, tremendously when I went to sell it, but, um, yeah, definitely cleaned it up the pole shed that was there. There was a a great pole shed. Um, it was filled to the ceiling with wood, like slab wood. They must've had an old mill there. And it was like, you could park a four wheeler in there, but that was about it. And it's a 55 foot pole shed. So I ended up um, spending, I don't know how many weeks of my time burning just tons of old wood and getting rid of stuff and cleaning it up and got a lawnmower and was mowing the grass. So it looked nice um, versus that um, there was 42 stumps in the yard from when they had cut all the trees down around the cabin that they just left. I had all those stumps removed, just did some of that kind of stuff to the to the a cabin appearance, I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. And so you bought that in 2018 and then um, it sounds like you put your heart and soul into it for four years, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was about three, three and a half, four years. Um, you know, and like I said, it, I knew it was a great spot. I knew the deer were there. And so, um, ironically, I just kind of was posting everything on Instagram, like I'll use social media a little bit and was kind of posting this story, not necessarily knowing that's what I was doing, but just kind of like, um, you know, I'd go up there and we, there was a three acre food plot that was just an old abandoned field. I ended up making it into a food plot and getting it cleaned up and ended up getting a good corn crop in there. And then this past year had a great soybean thing going, brought a brush hog guy and did a bunch of brush mowing. The very first year I owned it, I had a deer that was over 190 inches on this farm, non-typical biggest deer I've ever hunted in my life, Mm -hmm. Um, hunted him. Lots of good deer, you know, neighbor shot a beautiful 170 inch, um, you know, net. Um, white tail up there last wow. year, just great deer hunted some of the biggest deer I've ever hunted there. So that really helped. And, and all along was kind of like putting some of this stuff out there online and kind of the journey of this farm. 
And, um, you know, that paid off tremendously when I went to go sell it. Cause I actually ended up selling it to a guy that I knew, you know, and, and in a roundabout way through work. And, um, he had been watching all this stuff on Instagram. So in this listing, and I knew this listing, it, it was probably the hottest listing in that County, you know, this year for sure. And, um, it was like, when I put that up, he was like, okay, tell me how much you want for it. And I'm buying that farm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it definitely paid off. That's cool, man. That's really cool. So then you, you sold it. Did you know your replacement farm at the time or was it, I mean, what's the timeline on that? So, right. So that's where it gets interesting, right? Mm-hmm. So you you have this beautiful Cinderella story in your mind of how things are, are always going to work. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I got a good buddy um, and, and you know, Jeff Sturgis. So yeah. um, a buddy of mine owned what what is Jeff Sturgis's farm now. And so I had, I always dreamed of getting back down there right in that neighborhood and, and owning a farm down there. And I was like, okay, I had my spot up North and I actually was able to walk away with over 200,000 profit from that farm up North. And I'm like, I've got an amazing down payment. Now I've been listening to the podcast. I'm going to 1031 this money and I'm going to roll it into this beautiful, big farm down in bluff country. Here we go. Ready to go. Right. So I, finished out the hunting season on my place up there and was like, all right, I'm going to get with an, and and I had had real estate agents stopping by and asked me if I wanted to sell. And, you know, it's just, it, it's just been a crazy market. So it's mm-hmm. like, I, I'm, I'm a sales guy. Everything's for sale for the right price. And and I kind of put that out there. And, um, you know, I've been, I know Chad Gartescu owns Weiss Realty, worked with him for a number of years. He was actually my boss for a number of years. And always kind of stayed in contact and just told him like, hey, my goal someday is to get back to bluff country. So, you know, find me a place. And as soon as my place up here is ready, like I, I'm I'm going to switch them. Mm-hmm. And so we we're kind of talking and Chad came across an amazing place, right? It would have been this dream place that I wanted. Everything was was golden, was going to work. In the meantime, I had to get my place up north sold. So we listed that on a Friday, had it you know, 30 some offers by Saturday. Wow. And um, it, it, it was awesome. So then I went to go put an offer on this place in Southeast Minnesota. That was going to be my new dream place. And turns out, and it wasn't listed. It was just kind of like something on the side and um, turns out they didn't want to sell anymore. Mm. So this Cinderella story of buying a farm, fixing it up, you sold getting your a bunch out. of money, yeah. 1031 mm-hmm. it. And now all of a sudden it's hot market right now. There's nothing for sale. The place I wanted to buy is no longer for sale. And I'm like, now what? Mm-hmm. So it kind of, it kind of put me in like a, a tough predicament. And, um, you know, but the cool thing is, is, you know, that's what you, you work with a guy that I think like, like Chad and some of the, some of these agencies that really specialize in deer hunting land or the agents that do, and, um, you know, they've got stuff and, and they know stuff is going to come up and, and whatnot. So we went and looked at a few other properties. Now, of course, it starts getting spendy down there real quick. So we looked at some that were definitely out of my budget. And um, so I started kind of broadening my horizon or my my search area a little bit and ended up finding a great place in Wisconsin. Mm. Um, so kind of looked at that. And it, that was one, too, where it wasn't listed and um, I was like, oh, perfect. You know, and I kind of had an idea. They had tried to list it a few years ago of about where I wanted to be. And so in the meantime, I, you know, was interested in that Minnesota one. We had looked at the Wisconsin one, but then I said, well, I'm making an offer on the Minnesota one. So then the Wisconsin people were like, oh, okay, you know, um, whatever. 
But then when the Minnesota one fell through and back to the Wisconsin one, and <laughs> they had listed it with another agent, like mm. right then. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden it's a listing that's out there and everything else. So I ended up paying probably way more than I would have had to, if I would have just jumped on it right away. Mm-hmm. Um, but also my 1031 was kind of getting limited in the number of days I had yeah. left. Those tax savings is kind of yes. help you pay just a little bit more than what maybe you want to. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and it was like, there just was nothing else on the market. And I was like, you know, and I'm like, okay, I can do this again. Like, so at least this place in Wisconsin, you know, it needs work. It was a sugar maple or a maple sugar um, farm or whatever. And so there's a lot of like the lines so running syrup? through it. Yes, they farm syrup on that <laughs> on that place. That's cool. And um, but there's power on it. It's in a bad spot, but at least the power is there. Um, you know, it's it's on a dead end road. It's in an amazing spot. It's in the bluff country. And um, so at first I wasn't super excited about it, but now as I've been starting to go there and I met some of the neighbors now. I'm super pumped about it. I got great neighbors. It's giant landowners all around it. Um, it's pretty much the same situation I had going on up in Ottertail County. It's just this one's over in Wisconsin. So okay. Um yeah. So um <clears throat> that's interesting. That's funny how sometimes in a market like that it's like it's a great time to sell. So that's great. And, but then like on a buying side, it's a little bit more competitive than, than maybe what you want, but like you, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Like you got to pick one or the other. Absolutely. And and I tried to be, you know, there was some good stuff that I, that I found like, um, you know, I, Trempolo County is another great spot to look for deer hunting land. I I looked at a couple of farms there, but the access was so bad. And it's like, you know, so it's like, you try not to be too picky because it's like, you know, they say, you know, my um, Chad was kind of giving me the example where like you got a volleyball, right? There's all these pieces that make the volleyball. Mm-hmm. And like sometimes you, you try to get as many of them as you can, but you can't get them all, you mm-hmm. know, when you're looking at buying land. And that was kind of the deal. Like that place had I I wanted a little bit more tillable ground. Um, I wanted some bluffs. I wanted, you know, some of that kind of stuff. But the access was terrible. And I'm like, you know, you got to pick up the top three things that like these are the must haves. And so. Mm-hmm unfortunately like that property just had to rule out because it just one of the main things access which i need because i got to camp there right so i'm I'm buying i'm willing to buy something as far as two hours two and a half hours away but if that's the case i got to be able to camp there so mm-hmm. not having that ability i just i couldn't go after that piece and so to reiterate what were your three non-negotiables you know i wanted it within two and a half hours I wanted it in Southeast Minnesota or in kind of that I-94 corridor. Like I want it in a big buck spot. Mm-hmm. Um, I really wanted something cause I want to be able to um, buy and sell land a couple of times. I really wanted something that not that I'm getting a deal on, like I'm okay with paying market value, but something that I can add value to. Sure. For example, I looked at a, a piece in Buffalo County and it was done. Like there, there's nothing more I can do. It had redneck stands up. It had all the water holes in trails. I mean, everything was there. And so like the only thing I can do with that is, you know, time, time in the market. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, yeah, in five years, it might be worth a little bit more money, but I can't add that, that big amount of value to it by, you know, I got, I bought a tractor. And so, you know, doing a bunch of the, the work into putting in food plots or trails or water holes or just any of that stuff to add extra value and build the properties up you know, I was trying to find kind of that diamond in the rough again. So that, that was a key for me. It might not be for everybody. Like the guy that bought my place up North, he he couldn't be more happy. Like there's deer there. It's established. There's a management plan already going. Like it's, it's turnkey and, and he can add a lot to it yet. Um, but you know, it it was essentially, yeah, turnkey. I don't want that. I want something where I got to 
Wrong. tear an old house down or, you know, something that I can put some, some elbow grease and some work into, and then, you know, turn it into something in the future. Yeah, that makes sense. And so you went from eight and 80. Do you mind sharing what the size of this one was roughly? Yeah. So actually I got another 80. So stayed mm-hmm. at the same amount of acreage, but the cool part with this one is it's only an hour and about 25 minutes away from my house versus nice. two hours and 45 minutes. Um, so a lot closer it's in the bluff country. Um, you know, and the cool part is, is it's not far outside of like Hudson, Wisconsin or Menominee, Wisconsin. So there's, um, a lot of people that are buying houses or buying land in that area, putting houses on it. Um, you know, it just has a track record for bigger, bigger deer. Mm-hmm. There's no wolves there, which was a mm-hmm. huge key. I wanted to get kind of out of that wolf country. Was or, there wolves where you were so. previously? There, they were like at the neighbors, but not my place type of thing. So in, in where I was is, um, it's kind of that fringe of like where the prairie starts to meet the woodlands. And so if you were to go north of me about three miles, there was wolves and there was quite a few and they're just starting to move there, mm-hmm. you know? And so like, I got a picture of a wolf like once in the four years I was there, but they were like around, um, the neighbors would get them once in a while. And it's like, I remember being a kid and I, I hunted a spot where there was no wolves and then they started to move in and it's like, it just gets, it just snowballs from there. And I'm like, I just want to get out of that um, area. I wanted to get back to bluff country. I, I want to keep my lease down South in Southeast Minnesota. And so now my lease is probably like an hour drive, you know, from oh, nice. my land to my lease versus about a four and a half hour drive. So I can hunt That's huge. essentially the same stuff the same day, which is awesome. Yeah. Two different States too. Yes. Yes. <clears throat> That's really cool. Wow. And so what, um, I mean, what are some of your plans here? Obviously with this, with the new place, I'm sure you got a pile of projects. It's hard. Cause it's like, you know, you always, you always buy these farms. Like my, my whole thought was a buy and sell, buy and sell. Right. But then like when I had first bought my place up North, it's like, Oh, this is my dream place. I'm keeping this forever. How am I ever going to sell this? But you eventually do. And this Wisconsin place, I can kind of feeling the pressure of like, I want to keep this forever. And like when you get into good neighborhoods and you have great neighbors, like, I think it's, it's like leaving family. Like I, yeah. I felt so terrible, like selling my place up North just cause I felt bad for the neighbor, like exposing that area, how good so it to is. speak, yeah. like how good it is. Like we didn't yeah. share trail camera pictures much with people. If I ever share, share a trail camera picture, it's usually a buck that's dead or yeah. has, you know, I shot a few years ago. Like I'm not sharing recent stuff. Um, you know, and the other thing is like, for example, that farm up there, I mean, I, I purchased for, you know, I know stuff was going for around like 1500 an acre to 2000 for absolute premium farm ground in that area, you know, and now like I was selling well over 3000, well over mm-hmm. 3500 acres. So, um, you know, it, it drives the prices, which makes it tough for those guys who are trying to add on to their places. So you feel bad about it. And like the the new spot in Wisconsin, it's like I've got some amazing neighbors. I mean, I, I've met them a couple times. Like great guys, and um, it's it's one of those things where like maybe I keep it. Like my end goal is to have a spot in Wisconsin and a spot in Minnesota. So like maybe this is my spot in Wisconsin, and my next thing I go after is a, a piece in Minnesota. Like I don't know. Um, you obviously got to see how how it's going to end up hunting, and you know you, you have a lot of what ifs when you first purchase a place. But yeah, the idea is you know, build it up, make, make it a great place, put my, my, my kind of management practices into place. I feel like if you buy something that's in a key area that people want to be in, you can buy something that needs work and needs something to build up. Um, you know, you're, you're able to sell these and, and add some value to them. So. Mm-hmm. 
That's yeah, that's, plan. that's super exciting. I mean, what, um, what was, what's been one of the better resources for you along the way? I mean, obviously to me, the farmer is probably the number one resource that got you on this trail, but yes. beyond that, I mean, would you say it was agents like Chad? Was it just information? Was it what, what helped you along the way? It's funny because it's it's a lot of things, right? So um, part of it, yeah, Chad, Chad is a wealth of information and knowledge. I mean, I, I feel like that's the thing when you go with these guys like Weiss Realty or Whitetail Properties and and that kind of stuff. I mean, the, the good thing with those groups is like they know what I want to do. You know, and, and that was a tough part. Like I, I have a one of my best friends. He's a real estate agent. He sells new construction. He sell, you know, and he sold some hunting land. He sold me my first piece. And like the hardest thing I had to do was tell him, hey, I'm selling my place up north. I'm buying a new place in Wisconsin and I'm not going to use you as my agent. And it was tough from like a, a friend standpoint, but I think there's so much value especially when trying to sell something, um, you know, like Chad had, they had people lined up to buy my place. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the the guy that ended up selling my place up North to wasn't even the highest offer. It just happened to be the best offer for me. It was a cash offer. And he, he, he really wasn't interested in closing fast or having tons of flexibility. He gave me flexibility, which I really ended up needing in the long run. Like who knows mm-hmm. where I would have ended without those extra days. Um, because I wanted to do the 1031. So using an agent like that, a tremendous help. Um, the land, the land podcast, listen to other guys' story was was huge because I knew I didn't know about a 1031. Like I would have sold that place, paid the taxes, bought another place, and not thought That's cool. anything about it. Yeah. You know, and so I was like 1031. I started asking, and then I was talking to Chad. I actually ended up using a 1031 company out of Minneapolis that Yep. I, I don't even know what happened. It just happened. Like, yeah. you know, I, I gave them my name, my information. They handled my my 1031. And when I went to Wisconsin to close, it was like, yeah, we got your 200 some thousand dollars right here. And mm-hmm. it, it rolled like it was it was simple. Like it it was something so easy that saves so much money and it makes your buying power bigger. Um, you know, so that was huge. The other the other thing was. I got a buddy that does like lending and 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 that kind of stuff, mortgage lending. And he's like, you know, you really need to reach out to credit unions. Like, don't just use me because that's what you used on your house. And then that's kind of some of the stuff I was hearing on the land podcast. And so I started calling around and I called one company. I, I won't say their name, but very, very, very popular, um, you know, lending company for buying hunting properties their rate. And I, I had a giant down payment, right? So like mm-hmm. I only had to um, borrow about, you know, 40% of my loan for this new farm. Wow. They were, uh, they were telling me 11% interest on a 30 year loan. Whoa. And I'm like, I, for that much, like, I can't do it. Like, like that's, that makes my buying power so low. So I just started calling around other places. I ended up calling, um, ultra, which was like a small place in, in Wisconsin, kind of that, that Buffalo County driftless area where a lot of farms get sold. And I ended up locking in at like a five and a half percent interest rate. Um, and everything else that I was finding was like six to 11%. So it's like, if, if I wouldn't have called around, if I wouldn't have known to do that, it's like, I can't imagine how much more it would have cost me, you know, yeah. and especially when you're trying to buy something, you know, and you're hundreds of dollars a month it's different, hundreds crazy, of dollars. Yeah. Crazy. So, um, you know, just, just tons of people like trying to get as much information out there as you can, which nowadays and like for good or for bad, right? So now there's all these smart buyers out there, which which makes it tougher when you're trying to make money, right? But 
um, it's, it's nice that there, there is resources for that. Like there was nothing like that. I feel like when I bought my first farm, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Like if, if, if my agent told me this is what I had to do, that's just what I did because I assume that's how it was. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's uh, sometimes I'm like, man, the, uh, it's, it's exciting because this space is, uh, I I would say maturing in a lot of ways and just like agriculture Mm -hmm. is maturing. And like, there's a lot of really smart people that are building companies and then obviously land podcasts and other, you know, platforms that are similar. It's like, man, there's, there's a lot less secrets than what they were three, four years ago. And where does it go from now? Um, but regardless, that's, that's really awesome to hear that you were able to utilize the 1031 that you were able to go shop for different loans. And like, those are shopping for a loan to me is like one of the biggest things that people really need to understand and do. Yeah. And it's funny. Cause like, it's kind of frustrating sometimes too, because it's like, I have a full-time job, you know, my wife has a full-time job and sometimes it's just like hours on the phone and it's like, you just, <laughs> just give me like, you just want an answer sometimes, you know? Yeah. So like it, it it does take some work. Like I think like, yeah, it was great. I was able to, to make a bunch of money and roll it into something better. And, you know, hopefully that'll help me in the future to do it again. But like, um, you know, I got some buddies who's like, Oh, it's so easy. Just buying and selling this land. It's like, it's, it's a lot of work. Like it's yeah. not easy saving up $40,000 when no. you have no money. Yeah. It's not easy, you know, sometimes finding these, these loans and some of these different things. And so it's like, there, there's a lot that goes into it a lot more than I think people even realize. And even fixing up properties, like, um, about a $30,000 tractor and a bunch of equipment to do it. Like you got to take that out of your, you, the money you make too, you know, and then, um, different, different things like that. So it's just, it's, it's interesting to see there's a lot more that goes into it than you'd even think. Yeah. And it's things that you just learn as you go along too. Like, I think the, yeah. some people sit on the sideline, like, well, I don't know. Like, I'm just a firm believer of just figure it out as you go. And that may be a flaw, that's, but that's just who I am. <laughs> yeah. Like, so that's I'll, I'll been my, my life theory. Like I'm, I'm always like that. It's like, I'm moving away from college. Well, I'll figure it out. You know, I'm, you know, it's just like, I think, I think if you try to plan things out too much, like it, it, you gotta be smart, but like when buying land, like I, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to or how many podcasts I've listened to. And it's always like, well, you just got to start. It sounds so simple, but it that's literally the truth. Like, I never would have thought I'd be where I'm at, but I just had to buy that first place. And from there, it just, it just happens. That's so cool. So do you have any tips for saving up that initial down payment where did you guys just, you were just really mindful with what you guys were making and and setting it aside or was there any tips beyond that? Unfortunately, it's like, you know, I'm always, I'm always the guy trying to be on a diet, right? There's no secret pill. There's no secret drink. Like you literally just got to work for it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and saving up money. Like I don't come for money. Nicole doesn't come for money. Like we just had to work harder. And, you know, I drove around a crappy rusty suburban for with 200 some thousand miles on it until it finally caught an electric fire one day. Like I don't have cable TV at my house. Like you just got to find ways to cut corners and save money. I mean, your income is what it is, right? And, and you know, I had a couple of times where like my my income went up while, while we were saving it. That's that's great, but you can't count on that, you know? Mm-hmm. And I work in sales. It'd be like trying to live live off of bonuses. Like you, you don't live on your bonuses. You take your vacations on your bonuses, you know? And so it's like, you just got to save money, look at your budget and, and just kind of really save. And and it, it sucks. And there's times when I wanted to go on fancy vacations like other people were doing or go out West on hunts. And I just wasn't able to do it. Like I just saved money, but in the long run, it, it pays dividends so much in the long run. Like it, it definitely is worth it. And it doesn't take long. Like once you get on it, 
it, it doesn't take long. That that money starts to build pretty quick. Yeah, and you see, it, and it's more fun because you you can see it start to build, and you're like, oh man, we're 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 closer, we're closer, Absolutely. we're almost there, and you have a, a purpose to why you're making those sacrifices. Do you think it's an advantage that you got that you come from very humble beginnings? Do you think it it, it motivated Absolutely. you in additional level? Absolutely. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I think, you know, there's anybody that listens to Joe Rogan or any of those podcasts. I'm a podcast guy, right? Cause I'm a yep. traveling salesman. So, um, but it, it's one of those things where like, literally, I think if you grow up soft, you're going to be soft. You know what I mean? If you grow up tough, it, it just makes you like, I, I've had time, like we had kids young, like we had no money and Nicole didn't work cause we couldn't afford daycare. And so it was like, just work and grind and work and grind until finally, you know, like it pays off in the long run. It might not seem like it as it's happening, but, you know, gr- growing up and um, having to work for things definitely makes it easier. I think on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Well, I hope there's someone right now that's in a similar position to what you were and uh, they'll find some inspiration to, uh, you know, knuckle down and keep, keep uh, moving forward. Now, what about, was there any advice or myths, excuse me, were there any myths that you're like, Oh, I thought it was like this, that you found to not be true. And this is like about land ownership or anything else like that. Yeah. I think, um, you know, for me, the big one was just the, obviously the idea that like, it's not possible. Like I'm not going to be able to own something. Um, you know, I just, it, you definitely can, you can definitely save the money. You can definitely make it happen. Um, the other thing is, is like small properties, like um, you, you can own smaller properties. Like I had 80 acres, which is, you know, depending on where your land is, is, is relative, but in the location that my first 80 was at 80 acres was really small. Everybody else had hundreds of acres and it's like, you know, and it's flat country there. It's not like the bluff country. So 80 acres, I mean, that deer, the bucks cross that piece of property in could hunt pretty 10 small. minutes. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, but you can do it. Like if, if you really study the land management, you understand how the deer move on, not just your property, but the properties around you, you know, you might only be able to put your stand and hunt your property. But if you really take a look at the neighborhood and, and how they're moving the deer and where they're hunting and setting up, I mean, you, you can really make things happen on small properties. I know guys with 15 acre pieces that are killing big oh, bucks. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, what's, um, what's a mistake you made along the way, whether it was a project that you thought would make a big impact that didn't or anything else you're like, I, I won't do that again. I messed up. Well, you know, it, one is thinking that when I bought that place, I was like, okay, mom, I always might sell this. But then I also started to think like, this is my dream farm. Like I'm going to be here forever. And so I was, I was maybe investing too much into some of the smaller things that really, you know, didn't end up helping me maybe in the long run, but you got to enjoy the place too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so some of that stuff, um, I hired a guy to do some, um, a trail for me through the, through the woods. And, um, it was like, at the time I was just trying not to spend any money. So I was like, just found the cheapest guy. And it, he had more of like brush hog versus like a forestry mulcher. What I really needed was a forestry mulcher. And, um, it ended up just being like something I could have done with my tractor. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, I, I kind of regretted that it was, it was like 1800 bucks that I wasted where I think I spent 1900 for a guy with a forestry mulcher and he got 20 times more done. Yeah. So like looking a little bit more into like getting the right tool for the job um, would have been, would have been a better move. I think on that. That's a good piece of advice. So yeah. Um, anything else that you would want to share for anyone that is uh, an aspiring landowner that, that we haven't covered. I mean, we covered a lot of really good things here today, but anything else that comes to mind that, that we didn't get to? 
No, I think, I mean, I think the big thing is, is like, just be patient. You know, it's the hard part is, is like, I'm a guy that you could take me to any farm. I'll fall in love with it. Cause I can see the potential in it. Yeah. yeah. Like don't, please don't take me to walk a farm. Cause I'm going to want to buy it. You know, like yeah. I'm, I'm that guy, but just, um, you know, try to try to see like what it is that you do really want out of it. You know, do you want some family, you know, enjoyment, some recreation, or are you just looking for hunting, you know, cause some of these properties, set up amazing for hunting but you know i got two daughters that love to go up there and they've got a little side by side like i i want to be able to have some space for that as well so just you know really trying to to narrow down what it is you're looking for before you start looking and then kind of setting those rules because like you could run around with an agent you could have an agent take you to 50 properties and i'm going to fall in love with every single one of them mm-hmm. but then when you you come back you sit down you know narrow it down to those ones that really hit those top points for you, not the top points for me or, or for, you know, Bill Winky or someone like that, like, like what's important to you. And and I think um, if you're patient, that stuff does come around, even now during the the hot market, like there, there is stuff out there, you know, Mm -hmm. that's great advice. Now, this is the, usually what I ask most people, do you, and you kind of alluded that it won't be, but is this the last piece you own or it sounds like you have goals to, to get in Minnesota? Yeah, absolutely not. I mean, I'm, I'm like so guilty. I've like, I obviously have few computer screens and one of them's always got like, you know, land watch or just different websites. I'm always looking for properties. I want to buy like a small property and, and try to fix it up and use that as like my one that I flip more often. I'd love to, to, you know, like eventually own something on both sides of the river. So I have one Wisconsin piece and my Minnesota piece. Um, you know, so like always looking, like I, I went and looked at stuff even recently, like just trying to once again, save up that money. Like it's easy to, to flip when you're only flipping one piece, but to start over, to figure out how to yeah. roll in that, that second piece. Now that's, that's going to be the tricky one. But, um, I, I mean, I enjoy it. And you, you don't have to be a guy that, that buys and sells properties either. Like you can buy your final piece. You know, mm-hmm. right off the bat, if that's what you're looking to do. But for me, it's kind of fun. It's how I get my my wife involved in it. Like she doesn't like hunting, she doesn't like fishing, but she loves investing and she always wanted to get like a rental house. And I'm like, I don't fix things. I am not a, a handyman, but I can definitely, you know, do some wildlife management stuff. And so it's fun for her now that we've sold a piece, made some good money on it. She's like, Oh, okay, I can get into this as well. So she's even sending me listings sometimes, which is kind of fun. That is fun. That's really cool, man. I'm I'm so happy for you, and it's really cool to hear your story. Um, that's uh, I'm. It's so cool to hear uh, people like yourself have success doing this and and just uh, doing the work and doing the due diligence and and making the plunge because ultimately you have to get started in order to to get where you're at today. Um, anything else here? I mean, once again, I really appreciate your time. Appreciate you, you being candid and sh- sharing your story. It's really yeah. cool. Yeah, no, I just appreciate being on and, and listening to the stories. I think it's super fun to see all the guys, you know, getting into buying their first piece of property. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Where can, uh, where can people uh, follow what you have going on? Um, you know, I'm, I'm not a giant uh, social guy, but I do, I do post to Instagram, a bunch of stuff. And obviously I'll be posting the journey of this farm again, um, just because that was such an int- in such a huge piece of me selling that that last place. Um, so um, just Danny Thompson on Instagram is where I put all my stuff. Wonderful. Well, I really appreciate it once again. Good luck uh, on the new farm and um, you're more than welcome to come back anytime once you scoop up a piece of Minnesota. Awesome. There you guys have it. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. As always, if you found value, please leave a written review. And if you do that, you're gonna have a chance to win one of the brand new Exodus Rivals. Be sure to check out the Prime and Exodus giveaway, link in the description. 
What a great opportunity. We're announcing the winner for that, I believe, March 13th. That is it. Hope you guys have a great week. Until next time, see ya.